We're talking about rebuilding the walls, as the song just helped us uh, sing and declare. We're rebuilding the walls. You ready to rebuild the walls? I said to you last week that sometimes when the prophetic word comes, sometimes it's telling us to tear down the walls, tear down the walls of communism, tear, tear down the walls of dictatorship, tear down the walls of death and destruction. And other times, Scripture comes and speaks to us about rebuilding the walls. When you rebuild, you're rebuilding what's been destroyed. But when you're tearing down, it's already destroying people's lives. That's why it needs tearing down, because it's destroying people's lives. You realize that? So here we, here we are today. We're going to talk about rebuilding the walls from Nehemiah. Last week, we addressed the issue of a nation's vote. Last week was a momentous occasion in our nation's time. But, you know, we can't sit and wait for the politicians to get their acts together. How many of you know that? Yeah, we're done. We can't wait to sit around for our politicians to get their acts together. We have to rise up and do something proactively while they're waiting and while they're, de- they're talking and debating and voting and things like that. We, the church, must be clear in our assignment and irrespective of what's going on in the nation, we must still keep on working because our fathers made our assignment clear. Going to all the nations, preach the gospel, rebuild the nation from within. So we don't need a government to remind us. We don't need stability on the ground before we build. In fact, we thrive when there's chaos on the ground. That's the church. Go and read your Bible. So that's okay. We don't need Cameron to tell us or anybody else to tell us what their plans are. We know. We have a father. He's got plans. And David and your government fit into my father's plans, not the other way around. How many of you believe that? We must, know, we must do what we know is right. That's what we must do. We must do what we know is right. And then God will begin to move based on that, on that premise alone. We must start addressing the issue of the family. See, our, our politicians are talking about the economics. And they want to try and build this structure from the outside world that if we can get the economics stable, the nation's okay. Well, there's internal chaos. Think of this. Economy is not going to solve all the issues in society. Economy is very, 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 very important. And we'd all get behind that. We want to try and do what we need to do to make our economy strong. Because economies give people opportunities. Right? And it gives us an opportunity to, to take the kingdom because the kingdom needs finance, just like everything else needs finance. But the economy is only one aspect of our nation. What about the family? What about the immorality that's going on inside a nation? Abortions. What about all those things that break the heart of God? And our government sat down just talking about the economy. I'm sorry, guys, that's the wrong aspect. You cannot just look at this thing one way. You have to see the, you know, the broader picture. Families make the nation run. Families bring the nation down. Get the family unit right. Get them economically sorted. Get them spiritually, get them wholesome. Get them educationally fixed right. And you'll find your nation starts to, to show fruits of a different kind. But what each, when we live, well, we choose to live like they did, they did in the book of Judges, where every man did what he thought was right in his own eyes, then you have chaos. And that's what England's become. 
Or Britain has become. Every man, woman wants to do what they think is right in their own eyes. And the Bible's already told us, chaos will go before you if you have that kind of nation. So, what we're emphasizing, what our government is not emphasizing, we're emphasizing the family. Because if we focus on the family, we will rebuild our nation family by family. That's how you do it. How do you build a wall? The same way you eat an elephant. Bit by bit, one brick at a time, one family at a time. It's, it's not rocket science. So we have to rebuild the family, and then out of that we'll get strong communities, strong areas, strong nation, strong people. Amen? Nehemiah saw something that you and I haven't yet seen. He saw a nation that had been desecrated and had been ripped apart and sent to the four corners of the earth. He'd seen the walls of Jerusalem torn down, the gates burned, the people were in a mess. This so grieved his heart that he began, it began to move him to an action. You see, when I saw our nation going through what she was going through this week, me and untold others, including yourselves, we began to be moved in our hearts. And as we were moved in our hearts, we, step, we put our hat in the ring, so to speak, and we say, Lord, how do you want us to play our part? And God says, you've only just begun. It wasn't a weak burden, one week burden. This is a burden to rebuild a nation. Now, we haven't got our hands in all those places. But I tell you what, I've got a direct line. I've got one to the PM. Prime Minister of all the world. Yes? So we, we have to take that route. We have to build with what we know is right. We know our nation needs building in so, so many, many, many ways. But we'll start with what God has revealed. And Nehemiah realized that the walls of his nation were desecrated. That meant that there was no peace, no protection. And when, you know, people feel right now, because we're not in Europe, our wall has gone and there's no protection. That's what some people think. And they're entitled to that opinion. But we need to know that our nation is not guarded by our, by our treaty with Europe. Our nation is guarded by our covenant with the Father. That's what seriously is the defining point. A nation that has a God as its covenant, as a covenant with its God, I should say, is a nation that is protected. Why has no one ever defeated Israel? Why has no one ever defeated Israel? A small, tiny, tin pot nation. And yet, it doesn't matter what is thrown against her. She survives. A people who know their God shall do what? Mighty things, great exploits. So we need to be a people who know God, a nation that knows God. I will fight and you must fight and we will fight together so our nation comes back to that point. There's only one, now you're finding your assignment. Now you're realizing what the Dream Center is about. Now we're realizing there's only something, there's only a few things that matter. Hello? There's only a few things that matter. The course of our nation matters. Read your Bible, church. Let me just say this to you in all in, uh, sincerity and, and uh, t uh, sincerity of tone. Christianity is not about you. Read your Bible and everything God does is with nations. God finds a people, that's a nation. God makes covenant with people, it's nation. God begins to lead a nation, that's people. 
Now, when Christ came, Christ did not come just to give you salvation. Christ came for salvation. Christ came to redeem what was wrong, not just you. Come on. You've got to see it from what Christ came to do. Christ came to restore a kingdom, not just win salvation. Come on, this is where the charismatic church has made it just about you and kept it with you. Christ didn't come just to give you salvation. He came to build a kingdom and right every wrong. That, that's what he overcame, all the works of the devil. The devil's got works, not work, works. Salvation was killing the plans of God, so he recreates that by the blood of Christ. He corrects it, I should say. But that's only one aspect. But the church has made this thing the only thing. We're never going to cheapen salvation. You know that, don't you? We're never going to cheapen the grace upon our lives. But that's just, that was just one aspect of what Christ came to do. It was an important aspect, a major aspect. But listen, there is a kingdom to be built. Come on, see it. See it bigger than you've seen it before. Yeah? So we see when in Nehemiah, we see the families were troubled and they were disgraced. Troubled and disgraced. Take a look around you in, your, in the streets that you walk through, in the factories you work or the companies you work for. See troubled people and disgraced people. They're everywhere. They're all around you and you have to look and see troubled and disgraced people. How do we help troubled, disgraced people? Because they need it. It's the church church's role, and with governments to help troubled, disgraced people. But let's take our own responsibility first. Let's, Ezekiel says this, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So God's speaking to a watchman for the house of Israel. So God aligns prophets up who will speak over the nation and to the nation. See, when you speak to and over a nation, that means you get involved. Hello? I can speak to Phil but not get involved with him. But when I speak over his life, I should be involved in his life. Yes? So and a prophet, when we're going to speak to our city, we need to get involved in our city rather than just speak to it. Speaking to it is disconnection. Everyone's speaking to all kinds of things. But to speak over something, I speak over Scott and my family differently than I will speak to others who are not in my family. Why? Because I've got an interest, an investment. So he said, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the words I speak and give them warning from me. So God's looking for someone on the ground. God's looking for someone who will be a watchman, someone who can listen to what God's saying, who can be a vocal point that God can use on the ground to speak to those who were troubled and those who were disgraced. How many of you know that? So will you be a watchman? Will you be God's vocal point? That is the question. That's the question you've got to answer in your heart. Don't, please just don't listen to these words. Take them to heart. The house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Why? Because when I speak, they now have to respond. They now have to respond. If you don't speak, their blood is on you. But once you speak and give them their opportunities and choices, their blood's now on them. Amen? If I, that's why... Knowledge is what? Power. Because if I know, if you know what I know, then you can do what I do. You can make the same choices I make, 
when you know what I know. True? So if I don't tell you what I know, I've always got leverage over you. True? And I can watch you fall and be smirky and smile and say, I'm smarter than them. But that was, that's not God's way. God wants everyone to know what he's telling the prophet. Amen? Or the children of God. You getting this? So, let's paraphrase this. Put your name in it. Who's the son of man in this room? Us, us, no, put you, put you. Yeah, we're all us. Yeah, there's an us, a Mancunian us there. But let's put a me. Let's not just put a we or an us. Let's put a, a me in there. Say your name. So, Tony, this is God speaking. Tony, I have made you a watchman. So put your name in there. Marie, Denise, whatever your name is. Dennis, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you better hear the words I speak. And why? Because you're going to have to speak, you're going to have to correct, you're going to have to encourage, you're going to have to rebuke, you're going to have to train in righteousness so that people can make choices and decisions. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is useful for teaching, training, correcting, rebuking in matters of righteousness so that the men of God will be fully equipped. Yeah? So... I have tried in these last couple of weeks to the best of my ability to educate, train, and warn this house with what I felt, what God was showing me. Remember what I said to you? It was out of what was not being said that God spoke. When, you, when, everyone, when the left is saying this and the right is saying that, you better find out what's not being said. Sometimes what's not being said is more important than what is being said. So I went to the Lord and said, Lord, what's not being said here? And that's when I began to feel that the Lord was showing us the crossroads and how a nation, Brexit, is we're on a, on a crossroad collision course here and we must find our way to keep on the course that God originally spoke to us about. Now you think, well, that's not rocket science, but you didn't say it. Someone has to say it. Oh, it's all obvious once someone's made it known. Yeah? Not that I'm trying to get any credit. I'm just saying I try to... Be a voice on the ground. Why? Because this is the arena God's using us in. So, Jeremiah, we've seen the scripture. See to that no one takes you captive. Sorry, I'm going to be ahead of myself there. Leave that scripture up. We've been talking about Jeremiah 3.16, the crossroads, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But, go back out there. Hey, calm down, calm down. I know where I'm going. That's all you need to know. I'm driving, I'm driving the bus, and all you need to do is pay your money, get on it, and I'll take you to your destination. Don't get off. We're not stopping. <laughs> Amen? So as the watchman, we're sounding the trumpet. As the watchman, as the, a watchman, he's a watchman, Paul's a watchman of this leadership. As a leadership, we as watchmen are declaring to you today, we are making a clear trumpet sound that it's time to rebuild the family. We want every family in this room, every person in this room to know that this is what the Lord is saying to us at this time. The trumpet is being sounded in your midst today. Please hear what's being declared in your midst. So the scripture says, he who has ears or she who has ears, they who have ears, let them hear what God is saying. It's time to rebuild 
the family. What does that mean? Well, we've got a lot of time to talk about that. Not today, but over these coming weeks, we'll talk what does that mean. But we're announcing to you today that every house, or let me go through this, what does that mean? What does a family look like in case you forgot? It means every woman, every man, every house, every home, every family, every husband will be touched, reached, ministered to, blessed in some kind of way. Amen? We're going to hold together. We're going to come together. We're going to stand together. And we're going to labor together to see the family in this house become strong. I'm not saying it's weak. I'm saying we're making it strong. Okay? Only you know what's going on inside your house. Yeah? So, there's a path that God wants us to walk down. We read, we keep reading from Jeremiah that there's a good way. Ask the Lord the good way. And walk in it. Right. We've asked the Lord what is the good way. And he's revealing to us what is the good way. He says, now Tony, walk in it. Take the church down this path. It's not the garden path. We're not leading you down the garden path. We're leading you on the good way. The way that will build and, and restore rest and peace for our souls. Who wants a good family? Who wants a strong family? You've got to be, got to be brain dead not to say yes to that. So... What does it mean? Well, it means we're going to help the parent, every parent, to become, effect, to become an effective watchman. What are the signs when the family starts going down? What are the signs that when a family starts going down? We need you to be diligent and vigilant in those areas so you can arrest it in the spirit and arrest it by counsel on the ground. Amen? We'll teach, we'll show, we'll share things, we'll give you articles, anything that can help build a family we will try and distribute it to you. So please, you need an email account because paper's expensive and it's laborious and you lose, lose paper. But emails is the best way to transmit everything we have. We can give it you by email. Amen? So if you haven't got an email, see David. David will set you up. You need an email at home, obviously. You pay for the internet, we'll give you an email address. How's that? It's a good deal. I'm glad you got into that one. We need to guard every marriage. Oh, I said we need to guard every marriage. We need to hold more marriage enrichments. Remember when Pastor Peter and Karen came over and, and Chet did that marriage enrichment? Well, we're going to be doing more of that. Marriages are going to be a priority in this house. Should be, should have been, always have been, but we're going to do more ministry for them. Amen? Why? Because that's the best way you help a marriage, is by ministering to them. So when we say we are running a marriage enrichment day, here's the key. Here's, watch. Carol is my wife. So who do you think I need to bring? So can you, if you say to me, can I come on my own? No. Why? Bring your partner. Right? How many wives? After I know, you might have four wives. And you not bringing them is your way of deflecting it. Bring your partner. That's how you minister to a couple. Yes? Seriously. Can I bring my wife? Do I have to bring my wife? Do I have to bring my husband? Duh. Unless you're married. Just me and Christ. I'm married to the, to the, to the lamb. Get a life. We're going to start. We're going to stand and force. Now, we've got every name in the church. We've got every name. And the plan is this. 
we will be praying diligently and we are going to give everyone the names of everybody, not your dresses, not phone numbers, just names. And we want every tribe, every clan, every family, every Dan, <laughs> every Dan clan, tribe and family to come together and pray for the family. You'll be given these names. You'll be able to pray for families on a day, day-to-day basis. Lay them up. You'll be able to join with family. Join with family. So the Clarks can go with the, I don't know, another family, Matongas. Or you can choose whatever family you want to synergize with. But we're going to try and encourage the family to come together for the next seven months. Praying, laboring in the spirit to see change. Now, if you say, well, I'll just pray on my way to work, that might be great. But it's great when a family comes together and prays for others and prays for themselves. Amen? So we're going to put a strategy together for that because we really want to get it. The, the call is bring everyone to the wall. Yeah? We want to help our children, our youth. We want to see our teenagers go through that 13, 14, 15 difficult period when testosterone is just smacking at you in the face. And they've got an argument. They'd argue at a sign on the wall. Why? Because they can. How do you, go, how do you, do, how do you help a 14-year-old who wants to argue at a sign, with a sign on the wall? Because testosterone's going mad inside them. Well, <laughs> hey, I've done mind shift. That's, tell Scott how did I deal with him. <laughs> I ignored him. <laughs> No, we've got to pray. We've got to pray. Listen, there's some things that can only change through prayer. Now, people say, well, the church, all the church ever wants to do is pray. I wish. I wish. I wish the church would pray more. Prayer changes things. Not only prayer, but let's, let's just do what we can do. We may not have knowledge or information to other things, but we can, what we can do is we can start by praying. And as other information, revelation, comes to us, we can start using that and distributing that. But we, we must start with what we know. That's the best way. You go into any relationship with your strength, not your weakness. Don't go looking for what's not there. Celebrate what is there. Amen? And God will supply to us what we need as we start moving. So our children and our youth, then there's our singles. The Lord gave us a word at the beginning of the, week, uh, the year from Deuteronomy 30, uh, 32, 51. This was the word the Lord gave to me for our single people because he, he sees the heartbreak that you want partnership and we want to get behind that. But there are certain no-go zones. I'm sorry. There are certain no-go zones. There are certain things you cannot compromise just to you get what you want. It's better not to be married than to be married to the wrong person. So the thing is this, it's Deuteronomy 32, 35 said this, was about do not compromise your faith and compromising your holiness because that's what Moses and Aaron were in trouble for. When you go after the fruit of life, two things commonly get compromised, your faith and your holiness. Because now I've got, to, I've got to compromise my faith to do things that I, I know I shouldn't do to get what I want. And when you've got what you want, then, then they ask you to do things that you don't want to do to keep hold of them. Now you compromise your holiness. So now you've gone, you've gone the way of the world all because you pursued something. Now, listen, there's real, real struggles there. Everyone who's ever found a relationship knows 
It's hard, it's tough. But Titus says this, 2.12 says this, Save for the grace, says for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. I didn't say that, the scripture said that. There, is, there has to be a support mechanism that helps you to say no. There has to be a support mechanism that helps you to say no. And that's what we want to try and help. Okay? God isn't tight. God isn't vicious. But this grace allows us to say no to some things. All things are permissible when all things are beneficial. We have to word the word, we have to learn to use the word no over our fleshly appetite. So, the modern picture of the family, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and that the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, you see here the LGBTQ. I never even knew there was a Q until I read it yesterday. That's the, le the, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer. I didn't say that. Internet said that. I would have thought queer was the wrong word to have used. But they used it. Or you can have the... Les lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, intra intersex. That's what the I stands for. Whichever one, whichever one is operating, it's a deceptive, hollow philosophy that's trying to find its way into many people's lives. And the younger the generation that's rising, the more they want alternatives. True? They're looking for alternatives. So the issue is this. The issue is this. There are, the key word there is deceptive and hollow. If something's hollow, it has no substance. If something's deceptive, it appears as if it's good, but actually will take you down a path that is destructive. True? And he says to the church, guys, be careful that this secular world does not come into the church. My friends, this is what has happened in most churches. They're becoming more and more secular. And this is the thought that they say. We have to do all things to reach all people. This is called being relevant to the unchurched. So what we have now, we have such a nice sedate atmosphere that there's no conviction in the room to arrest or change people's hearts. So you compromising has not helped anything. You've actually sold yourself out. Now, do we need to be, do we need to find ways? Yes. Do we need to, do we need a grace to reach the unchurched? Yes. But not at the, not at the expense of surrendering what you believe and how you express what you believe. If we can't worship extravagantly, then how does the presence of God come in this room and convict? If we now all start singing, let's go back to the choruses, but then the Mennonites say the choruses are too charismatic. At what level do we choose? Well, we do that, Holy Ghost. If you're not in the room, something needs changing. So it's our job to make sure he's in the, play, in the place and in the people. Not the people's... Not the people Saying to us, well, you've got to accommodate people. No, we only accommodate one person's will. That's Christ. When we used to meet the churches in the, in the uh, area, this battle always used to come up. 
well, you know, don't, don't worship. And certainly when I'm leading worship, Tony, just calm down. You know, we've got evangelicals, we've got Church of England, we've got da-da-da, da-da-da. Let's just try and cater for everyone. That's what they used to say. I'd say to them, if you want a punch in the face, that's the best way, that's the worst way to talk to me. You want me to dilute what I am just so we can accommodate other people. I'm not your man. Go and, go and get someone else to lead worship. Punch in the face was a bit strong, but you know I wouldn't have done it, but just, it just aggravated me. The fact that the men of God would reduce. Yeah? So, the secular world creates philosophies, ideologies, policies, and practices. We all know this. All of which Colossians tells us are dangerous. Every, every, every philosophy has an ideology. It's looking for a practice. Those anagram at the back there, the LGBTQ, every day these people work, function, and live with a philosophy and an ideal and a practice that you challenge anything they say and they will viciously attack you. Oh, viciously. Viciously attack you. They say that we are intolerant, but they won't even debate any other possibility. And yet they turn around and say that we're the intolerant ones. I beg to differ. It's creating, listen, here's the word I'm going to use. This ideology, philosophy, principle, practice is creating what I call societal rubble. Societal rubble. I'll bring you to where, where we get that from in a minute. Rubble. If you're ever building anything, there's always rubble on the ground. Yes? Things have to be removed in order for things to be built. True? You bring your JCBs in, you bring, you, you know, all the, the infrastructure has to change so that something new can be built. There's rubble, there's obstacles in the way to everything that's been rebuilt. Yes? Rubbish is, rubbish is accumulated through all kinds of things. It's amazing what people leave in the streets, you know. It is. In Australia, they have this, they have this thing where people leave things on the pavement, but it's not dumping. They... They have a different philosophy. It's true, isn't it, Sam? I've seen furniture outside people's houses, and you can stop and take what you want. And after a certain period of time, the person who's put it there has to take it to the tip. But they give you first dibs on it. Right? It's not a bad idea. It's called what goes around comes around. So one man's rubbish is another man's potpourri. It's true. It's a good idea. But in England, we just have the opposite. We just think, I'll just dump it. If somebody wants it, that's fine. So you'll see a fridge. You'll see a family in the street. You'll see all kinds of things in the street. And you're thinking, why would you do that? Because people, it's called rubble. And they expect somebody else to move it. True? Settees, fridges, and it rains and rains, and maggots and all that kind of stuff are behind. It's dirty, skanky. It's someone's job to remove it. Guy on my road has done the same thing, and I keep saying to Scott, we need to move this. It's not ours, Dad, it's not ours. But for our enjoyment and our betterment, son, we need to take responsibility to move it. And when I say we, I mean you, Scott. <laughs> it's called a royal we. It's called, I'm giving him partnership. It's true. Societal rubble is destroying our nation. For every 
LGBTQ, or I, there is, you can follow the disasters that run through our nation. For every man who doesn't love his wife, you can follow the disaster. For every woman who's not faithful to her husband, you can follow the rubble through the nation. For every child who will not honor their parents, you can trace the mess that that leaves. Kath and Gwen sit there as uh, magistrates. They see the rubble. They see the trail. Now they have to dish out, uh, dish out the punishment. Chris is a police officer and anybody else had to deal with the rubble. Then she has to dispense the punishment for the rubble. So we see the evidence of behavior just creates rubble. And they expect somebody else to shift it. But we all have to go around it. We feel it's an inconvenience. We feel it's an obstacle. But God says, no, I want you to camp at the rubble and shift it. Deal with it. Don't expect your government to shift it. You must do what you need to do to do it. So if there's someone next door to you whose house is looking a bit... You put the word in you want. Go and offer. Help them. Get involved. We've just taken... Some, we've cut the grass at the back of our house, which the council should do, and this guy's got every kind of furry friend you can have running through it. But we've got to do something about it. Why? Because it'll affect us. And if me shifting, it makes him feel guilty, praise God, hallelujah. And it might open an opportunity for me to have a conversation. Seriously. And it's called servanthood. It's called serving God. There may be things in your area or immediate circle, societal rubble. Stop expecting others to come and shift it. Families, needs. Come on, church. This is how you rebuild the walls. Go and help another family. Hello? Y'all going quiet on me now? Come on, don't go quiet on me. Please. If you've got strength, you can use your strength. Others have got corrupt patterns. And you who's got a, some kind of level pattern, go and help someone. This is how we do it. So there, are definitely, there is definitely societal rubble created because of the incorrect, or because of man's want and will to go and experiment with life and not be told how to live his life. It's bringing devastation and societal rubble to our nation. It's not cultural, it's national. Amen? So, in Australia, I saw it on Facebook, and they have the Safe Schools Coalition, and I think I might hopefully get this right, so if I've got this wrong, tell me if I've got it wrong. But this guy, this guy is picking up an ideology, a philosophy. Listen to those words. Should be. Part, paedophilia, it's spelled paedophilia wrong, should be part of the gay movement, it must be legally recognized as a wider sexual liberation. This guy is saying this. This, you know, he's coming under a lot of attack for this, and so, quite rightly so. Yeah. This is on Facebook. No, no, this is, this is right. I know the, the Aussie guys are, have been fighting this. I've got, I know enough people who, who are picking up on this. But this guy's saying this. But this is, now can you imagine if he gets a position of influence? Hello? 
follow me, watch me. Never mind what he's saying, it's gone. Right? The issue is this. If he gets in a position of influence, how much more rubble will he create? Because now little Johnny says, I feel this. Mum says, it's okay, you can do that. We can put a dress on you next week. You can go to school. Because now they're saying you can, have a, you can go to school with a dress on. Right? But this, see what we're doing? We're creating more and more room to express a lifestyle that's only going to create rubble down the line. It's sad. But listen, you know what's, you know what's even more sadder? Us sat in here looking at it and going, oh, ain't that bad? Ain't that bad? That's more sad. Why? Because looking at it and going, oh, call blimey. That's worse. That's worse. Why? Because you saw it and did nothing with it. Well, what can I do? Whenever the opportunity comes, you can help remove societal rubble. True? So, there's just as much rubbish inside the church. Now, here's the reason why the rubbish outside the church doesn't get moved, because there's rubble inside the church. Oh, yeah. Notice I said rubble, not rubbish. Notice we said rubble, not rubbish. Christ redeemed people. They're not rubbish. But redeemed people who will not go through discipleship or unredeemed people who will not allow Christ coming into their life but go to the church, bring rubble with them. They bring history. Everyone's got history. You've got history. I've got history. Yeah? So... People want to explore pleasure. Nehemiah says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. There's the rubble. Now, question in the church, how does the rubble get inside the church? If we're the redeemed, how does the rubble get in the church? Well, let me just go back a minute. Deception. Hollow, philosophy, which the traditions, yes? When we bring, when we have believers who live with those things, they bring those into the church and they become the rubble that stop us building and going forward. Because everyone, everyone likes tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition because we can celebrate tradition. Some aspects of tradition we can celebrate. Can we not? Of course we can but the tradition gets in the way of the things of God, then, this, then your tradition is wrong. Yeah? The tradition's not wrong, but you holding on to it is wrong. Yes? And it's hollow, it's deceptive, it's a philosophy. It's, in other words, it's mental, it's cerebral, it's human, it's carnal, it's fleshly. But we argue like it's God. I remember once having a person inside the church said to me, we, want to, we would like our family to run Weight Watchers inside the church. And I said, why? Well, I believe we can evangelize to all these women. So I said, do you evangelize? Well, that's not the point. Well, if you're going to evangelize, if this can be used to evangelize to people, but you don't open your mouth, how's what you're going to do going to evangelize? Yeah. They left the church. Was I right? Yeah. Of course I was. If you don't open your mouth, Doing what you're doing is not going to do anything. You've got to do something different to get a different result. So, never seen him ever since. 
There are myriads of churches in the nations of the world that have very little kingdom activity. Very little kingdom activity. All their emphasis is on a Sunday, Sunday service, Sunday meetings, ministry to the believer rather than the church engaging with society 24-7. One of the things we tried to do a couple of years ago, if you remember, is every month we tried to shut down the service and we took the church out to the market down the road. Now, it was amazing watching some of you. I would rather serve tea and coffee. I would rather organize the games rather than go and give a leaflet out and engage people. Everybody wanted a job that day. So they didn't have to engage with the people. It was amazing. It was interesting. I'm thinking, great, the church is on the street, so that's the first celebrate. We'll celebrate that. But it was interesting how people just give them a leaflet and say nothing. And others would give a leaflet and say something. But everybody wanted a job in the, in the coffee tent and less and less wanted to actually engage with people. That's sad. That's sad because at some point, engaging the people is what, is what exposes your salt and light. Yes? So... But there's less and less laborers in our kingdom. We, we've confused church work with kingdom work. You'll get people working three, four days a week in church, but never get exposed to the world. And you think because they're working in church, that that's the work. No, it's not. That's called a lot of the, we do on a Sunday morning for us. We're doing it for us, not for anybody else. We're doing it for us. But when we go out into our respective domains, our fields, your salt and light speaks for itself or doesn't speak for itself. The prayer of Jesus in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, pray for the workers to go into the harvest field. We pray for the workers and forget that we're the worker he's asking us to pray for. How senseless is that when we pray, Lord, send the laborers. He said, can I just start with you? Lord, no, send laborers, Lord. Some people into, in, what about you going? Bang you devil, bang you devil, get behind me. No, you're the worker that is asking. That prayer has still not been fulfilled. He says, that's a command, pray for workers to go into the harvest field. So you as a prayer must become a worker because from your own passion as a worker, your prayer will change. Hello? Hello? Something causes the strength of the laborers to give way from Matthew. Let's go back. The strength of the laborer is giving out. Now, in this context, the word, let's just major on two words here, is and has are two different things. To say the strength of the laborers is giving way, it means they're giving all they've got, but they're becoming tired. Yes? To say they're active, to say the strength of the labors has means past tense is gone. There's no more strength there. Now, in some churches, there is definitely the word has. And in other churches, there are word is, is. And I tell you one of the reasons why the word is, people are giving way, is because the church has endless meetings. Endless meetings. We have a bi we have Sunday service. Then we have two Sundays. We have two services on a Sunday. Then we have Monday. We have a Bible. Uh, we have a Bible class. Or on Tuesday we have a prayer meeting. And then Wednesday we've got to be at the youth. And Friday you can die. And then Sunday you're going to be resurrected again. 
And you think, when did we touch the world? When did we touch the world? And you wonder why you lose your kids. And you wanted to make little Johnny sit there and colour in books for four days a week. Stay in the lines, stay in the lines. The rubble inside of the church is predominantly caused, ready for this, you're not going to like it, but I'm glad you asked. The rubble inside the church is predominantly due to worldly believers who do not have the Christ culture built into their lives. The rubble is created because believers do not have Christ culture embedded into their lifestyle. They have a church culture. They have a church culture. They have culture. There is culture, without a doubt, inside church. We have, and certainly where you have multi-ethnic uh, uh, churches, you have diverse cultures, but there is still very little evidence of Christ culture. So people like the church, so they fall in love with the church, they fall in love with this ideology that Christ died to give you a church life. No, Christ didn't die to give you a church life. Christ died to give you a Christ life. Not, not, not just a church life, a Christ life. Jesus Christ did not die for the church. He died for the world. And through the church, the church would be then to build the kingdom and advance the kingdom. He didn't die for the church. He died for the world. For God so loved the world, he gave. He didn't just say he died, he died for the church. He died for the world. So, Christians have secular culture living inside them. Every one of us has an element of secularism running through our minds. Listen, we do. You've got to face the fact it's there. It got there because of where you work, the people you talk to. It got there because of the families we've come from. It's there. You have to recognize it. And when you see it conflict with the kingdom, that's when you've got to recognize it and allow the Holy Spirit to deal with it. But it's every one of us. Everyone, to some point, listen, is a racist. To some point. But when it's revealed, you have to say, Lord, forgive me. It's in my heart. I didn't even know it was in my heart, Lord. I've just been exposed to it, waiting in this queue, seeing that person has revealed something. Lord, I confess it. Get it out. I don't like it. Every one of us have this kind of secularism. Every one of us has got philosophies in our mind. Every one of us has got ideologies in our spirit. But you have to let the Holy Ghost root it out. It's called dying to the flesh. So, here's another reason why there's so much rubble in the church. You gave me milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. You know, there's so many things I'd like to teach, but some people are just not ready for it. Ooh, ping. It's gone silent now. There are so many things that Christ wants to share with us, but we're not ready for it. I gave you milk not solid food. In other words, I had to change what I gave you because you weren't ready for it. You were not ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. How many, how long have you been a Christian now? How long have I been a Christian now? And we're still not ready. You still are worldly. Oh. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? This is the rubble that's still in the church. It's called flesh and blood. It's called unredeemed parts of our lives that are still active because we won't let God deal with us. The flesh and blood has to come to an end. 
You being a Christian is about your ways, your sin's habits, sin's nature coming to its end so that the life of Christ can come alive inside of you. That takes work. That takes grace. That takes patience. That takes shepherding. That takes all kinds of things to bring what's alive inside of you to an end so that the Christ can come alive within us. I tried to give you milk. So food is essential for our growth. So we had to change the diet in the church because the people were not ready. Now, when you're a child, we all know milk's good. But as you grow, you need more vitamins in your body so that you can, so your bones develop accurately. Amen? So then he says, you're worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? In fact, though by this time, Hebrews 5.12, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. So what he's trying to say is, I'm trying to take this person on a journey and into a depth of relationship with Christ, but I can't take her because she won't feed on the right food. See that? I can't take her, I can't teach her. But why? Because we still need goosey-goosey gander. Where shall I wander? No, we wander nowhere. Right? So we need to teachers who can teach, who, who, who you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Wow. You need milk, not solid food. How many times do we keep, re- we keep, we keep reading this? Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So you see the rubble that's in the church, we can't get the job done because of the the shallowness and the carnality and the thinking patterns that's in the average Christian throughout our nation and throughout the nations above. There's so much immaturity that we cannot take them past the elementary truths. But I know it's not none of that's in us. But this is serious. This is why we can't rebuild the walls and get to the task in the assignment because of the immaturity level that's in the body of Christ throughout the nation. Seriously, church, we have to address this. A shepherd has to see the level inside the people and then seek to develop the level and bring, bring you know, listen, you, you never train people, you can never ever go to the next level if you don't shift some of the rubble. What we want to do, we want to grow, but save a compartment for the rubble. Have you noticed when you move house, the wife or the husband, depending on the dominant one, she wants you to let go of half the stuff, but you cling on to the attachments. Yes? And you find that when you move house, it's a great opportunity to go to the tip and let go of a load of rubbish or leave it outside your door and let somebody else have the pickings from it. You have an opportunity, but you insist on taking the rubble with you. Why? Because it's sentimental. It's more mental than it is senti. Oh, yeah, okay. She's balancing it out now. Okay. Of course. Of course, Carol. It's when the husband says, you're going. (laughs) So, let's ask ourselves a question here. What are you not ready 
What are you not ready for? The reason why I ask you that question is this. Unless you know what you're not ready for, you will continue to feel that you're being overlooked, underutilized, and frustrated. Let me say that again. It's so good, it's worth saying twice. Ask yourself, what are you not ready for? There are some things I know that I'm not ready for, but I hope my desire is to go there. Hello? Some of you are praying for jobs. You've got no chance. Why? Because you're not ready for it. You've seen the possibilities. You've seen the opportunities. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you ready? Hello? Are you ready? Because you don't know what's on the other side. That's a pathway that will lead you somewhere. And if you're not ready for it, God will hold back. Why? Because God's not just going to listen to you whinging and give you what you want. He's a father. He's going to stop you from destroying yourself. That's what fathers do. Right? But God, God, God. I remember once wanting to buy a house on, uh, sorry, get a higher house, Moravians. Right? And I remember, I told you this story before. I remember crying before God. God, God, I had this great way of getting rid of my mortgage. Get rid of the mortgage, go and rent a house. It seemed perfectly logic. And then, Graham Little, who was the pastor, had one of those houses down there. And when he left the church, he left with the money that was in his pocket. He had no car and no house. God says, do you want to go out like that? No. I stopped you from having one of those houses because, son, you needed security for your children. Never saw it. I remember crying, God, you're tight, you're tight. You won't give me this house. I can get rid of a mortgage. No, son, a wise man builds an inheritance for his children's children. You've got a house. I'm allowing you to do that for your children. In those days, I just thought God was tight. Then later on, he began to show me, son, now you've got an inheritance for your kids. And I just thought, God, he says, go on, say it. You're so cool. You know. Yeah, remember that next time you're whinging. Next time you're moaning at me that, I, that, that, you know, I won't give you what you want, just remind yourself, God, you know more than I do. So only here's the revelation. He's God, you're not. End of. And that really helped me to understand the ways of God that he prevented me because he didn't want that as my course of action. And I'm glad I have a house. I'm glad my house is bought and paid for. I'm glad. It's a great asset in this day for me, for my children. I'm glad. So, but that's what God spoke to me. Find out what he's saying to you. In Hebrews 5.12, though by this time, oh, we've, read, we've done that, haven't we? We're coming to an end. Last scripture, I promise. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When, the, when, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. There's an enemy behind here trying to destroy the family unit. So what does he say? Fight for your brothers. Here it is, guys. Categories of people needing to be fought for in prayer. Fight for your brothers. You better find out who's your brother. There is natural brothers and there are spiritual brothers. You need to know who you're fighting for. 
fight for your sons. We need to know who are the sons of God in the house so we can spend our labor wisely fighting for the right people. This is what he told Nehemiah to fight for. Sorry, this is what Nehemiah told the people. This is what we are fighting for. This is the nature of our battle. These are the people we are going to ring fence so we know exactly who we're praying and why we're praying for them. We're praying for brothers. We're praying for sons. We're praying for daughters. We're praying for wives. We're praying for homes. And we're praying for husbands. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wife, not wives. You can only fight for one wife, right? Fight for your home. Fight for your husband. Now, in that scripture, it doesn't mention the husband. Why? Because it's the men. It's a man talking to men. Nehemiah's talking to the rest. Guys, as you stand here, fight for your wife. Fight for your homes. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your brothers. Now, we're saying fight for the men. Fight for the wives. Okay? The context changed now because we're not the one having the conversation like Nehemiah was having the conversation. So these are the six areas that God is commissioning us this year for the next six months, seven months. We're going to fight for those people. Can everybody see that? Now, are you a brother? All the guys, are you a brother? Come on, a little bit louder. I want to know who the brothers are. Are you, where are the sons? Sons. Where are the daughters? Here, I'm here. Where are the wives? Where are the homes? Here. Where are the husbands? Here. These people all need fighting for, and every one of those have got rubble. Every one of those have rubble. And it's the rubble that we have to remove. And as we remove the rubble, we build. So as Carol opens up her heart and allows God to remove some of the rubble that we've been praying for, you can build. God builds. When he removes the rubble, he builds. You don't build with rubble. You shift the rubble to build. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right. Well, while God's, prepared, while God's building, we need to remove the rubble. Right? Fighting alongside, that's why the song says, take up your sword, take up your shield. Yeah? Stand together, rebuild the walls. In fact, what's the, what's the word say? I only wrote the song. I can't remember the words. Rise and stand, rise to build. I told you last week, I encouraged you last week, to write a song about what you want God to do over these next seven months. Write a little ditto, because everybody remembers a little ditto. Yes? So write a little ditto. When I was in Malaysia, I was asleep one night, one of the rare nights I did get to sleep. I was sleeping. As I'm in a deep sleep, I can hear this song in my spirit. And I'm starting to sing this song, and I'm thinking... I'm quite, I quite like this tune. I quite like this. And then the Lord said, get up. I went, no chance. He's taking me all week to get to sleep. Right? I said to, and I said to Phil, I said, I can't get up. Why? I said, my phone switched off. Carol's asleep. Can you imagine me getting the phone, turning it on, sitting in the bedroom, sitting in the bathroom going, na, 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 turn it off, get back in. I'd be wide awake. 
So I'm thinking, oh, flipping heck. So I get to the phone, and all, the next day when I wakes up, all I can remember is a little bit of the chorus. And I, I lose his three quarters of the song. And then I'm walking on. Oh, sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. Should have got up. Should have said something. Should have done something. And I went, oh, Lord, I've been asking you to give me a song for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And you do. And you spoke at the most inconvenient time. What are you playing at? God says to me, when I speak, son, you awake. So I went, okay. So I went back to my phone and I put the little chords down. And I'm saying, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. Can you bring the tune back into my head? Right? I write songs in unconventional ways. People sit down and try and put, no. I ain't got time to sit down. I'm in a supermarket. Someone comes. That's my best way. Get me on the run. So it comes to me. The little tune comes to me. Now, once the tune comes back, I'm in again. I'm back in the game. So the tune came back to me. Guess where? Asda. <laughs> the place where the Almighty shops. God does not shop at Iceland. That I do know. Right? I'm walking through, and I'm thinking, this time I've got my phone switched on. Cows, what are you doing? Nothing, 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 nothing. Just walking through. I'm walking around, pushing the trolley. But the whole idea is to have a phone, be ready when God speaks. So my phone has got, I'm listening to some of those tunes in my phone the other day. I'm thinking, what was I smoking? And so this tune came to me. So I said to Cows, I think i got the tune back now. So I started penning some words, and I thought, Lord, I want to write something that's depicting what you're saying at this time. So this, this is how this song came about. So I'm challenging you to write a song so when you stand and you're laboring for those people, you have a tune in your head that you can launch through song and through spirit and through prayer. So rise and stand. Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. Rise and stand. But listen, rise to build. The word two there is the purpose of why we're rising. Take your sword, raise up your shield. Stand in faith, stand up tall. Take your trowel, rebuild the walls. Strength, string your bow, take your aim. Launch your arrows. It's the year of the select arrow. In Jesus' name. Place your hope in Christ alone. Rebuild the walls, remove the stones. Watchmen rise, heed the call. And this is the king what really fixed me, hits me. Build a family. Don't let them fall. The trumpet blasts, the trumpet calls to rise and stand, rebuild the walls. We are salt, we are light. Teach, touching hearts, changing lives. Heaven's life brings heaven's call to rise and stand, rebuild the wall. And the last verse is nations rise, nations fall. In Christ we hope, our hope secured. Sorry, in Christ we trust, our hope secured. He's torn the veil, sat on the throne. throne. He's Christ our rock, our cornerstone. We will build on the word that's revealed by the Holy Spirit. We declare every man, every house, and every home will be touched by the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit as Christ is revealed. Christ revealed. So if I can write a song, why can't you? Doesn't need all those words. Don't shop at yeah. Don't shop at Asda because don't get in my way because I'm writing a song. Asda has become my birthing place for me writing many many songs, and uh, just while I'm shopping, just minding my own business, 
God just seems, there must be something about that supermarket music that puts me in open heaven mode. Yeah? So let's just raise our hands if we will. Calling to the sons, the daughters, the brothers, the wives, the husbands, and every home. We declare that every man, every house, every home will be touched by the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit as Christ is revealed. That's our stand. That's our, that's our launch in the Spirit. I believe it, oh God. You're causing me to be a select arrow. I'm stringing my bow, oh God. I'm going to launch my arrows in this season. Father, I'm ready to, to join at the wall with my brothers, sisters. Every house, every home, every tribe, every clan. Lord, we're believing in the next seven months we're going to see every house, every home, every life transformed by the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit. We're believing that Christ is going to be revealed in greater measure. I'm believing that my, my backslidden son, my daughter, my husband or my wife, my family is going to come back to Christ and we're going to release the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit over every family. Lord, we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to do it. We're going to see your hand move. We're going to launch, you're going to launch into the areas, oh God, that we've been longing for you to move in. We're coming to the wall. We're coming to the wall. We're going to remove the rubble, oh God. We ask you, oh God, move the rubble, oh God, as we pray. Remove the rubble. Oh, Father, remove the rubble. Remove the rubble of my own heart, oh God. The hard-heartedness, my wrong f uh, philosophies, my, my ideologies, oh God. My way, my thinking, oh God. Remove it, oh God. So that we can rebuild every home, every life. <coughs> oh, Father. You know, church, I hear the Lord saying to us, we have got to stop assembling as people and start assembling as a clan. We must start assembling as a clan. Clans go to war. Families can go to war. Individuals will always see them. Well, it's not my family. Individual will always choose when it suits them to be part of something or to be disconnected from it. But a clan says, if the clan go to war, we're all at war. Hello? You cannot opt in and opt out. This is, we're in or we're in. We're out or we're out. We can't be in, out, in, out, shake it all about, do the okie koke. That's not going to move anything in our nation. That's going to, we have to start with rebuilding our wall, the family first. And when that's done, let's see what God says. Let's see where God takes us. Let's see how God begins to launch us as he select arrows, strong families. But remember, we must ask that question, what am I not ready for? I cannot be always underutilized. I cannot always be marginalized. Why? Because you, by this time, you need somebody to teach you. But you can't be, keep being taught all over again. If you're not ready, you can't be utilized. But as a clan, we must fight. We must come together and hold this line. Hold this line. There are serious issues here to be fought. Behind your wall, there are serious issues. Serious dysfunctions in your children. Serious dysfunctions in your husband or your wife or whatever it is. 
And we're going to go and bat for them in a war. We're going to go and fight for them in a war. So we need to stand and believe that what we start is worth seeing through. Amen? Are you ready for this, church? Are you ready for this journey? I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will make it clear to you as to why we're fighting. You know, I'd love to see some of you ladies, your husbands, come through. Sat here in the church. But listen, I'm not sure you're ready to change your lifestyle when your husband comes through the door. Oh, yeah, because now two of you are making decisions. Are you really ready for your husband to come into the kingdom and start making kingdom uh, uh, decisions? Are you ready for your husband to start taking you into places that you never thought? Are you ready for that? Guys, are you ready for your partners to come in and have an equal measure? Are you ready for this? Are you ready for God to start working on the saved wives and the saved husbands? Are you ready for that kind of equilibrium? Are you ready for this? Because as, as say for instance, Carol gets the Spirit of God upon her and she starts, she starts leading an area. I've got to learn, whoa, Spirit of God's leading Carol in this area. I'm going to make love, I'm the leader. That can't, that can't be the case. I've got to watch and ready for what God is about to do in my midst. And there may be a grace comes on one of you to lead the next particular part of the season. You need to be ready to follow as well as serve. Or you must be ready to lead as well as follow. Are you ready for this church? What are you not ready for? Don't be sat in church in the next three years still being underutilized. That's a tragedy. By now, some of you ought to be teachers. Wow. Some people were underutilized and felt were being marginalized. Why? Because they weren't ready for that area of life. That was God's destiny. You should be a teacher. But you could never get to your destiny. Why? Because you're still not ready. Wow. Don't be blaming the pastor. Don't be blaming the ministry team. Don't be blaming this. Don't be blaming that. That's what you're not ready for. And that's the Holy Spirit. Get me ready. Father, right now in Jesus' name, come on, every hand raised to heaven. Lord, show me what I've not been ready for. Show me what the areas I've not been willing to enter. Show me my partner. Show me the destiny of my partner. Show me, oh God, show me and my husband our destiny. Show me the destiny of my children so I can raise my children in the way that their destiny is. Show me my future partner. Show us, Lord, how we are to serve you. Not just come together, but how we are to serve you. Show me the woman, Father, that you are choosing for me. Show me the man, O oh God, that you are choosing for me. Let me know inside my spirit, O oh God. Let the baby leap in my womb, O oh God. Not because of the attraction, but because of the spirit dimension, I see my futures with this man, this, this girl. Let there not just go for physical attraction, but, oh God, let there be a, a pursuit of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, lead these families. Build these families. I pray for every family in the Dream Center that, oh God, you've put a sword, you've put a shield in their hands, you've put a, a bow in their hands, you've put an arrow in their hands. Father, what you can't do for them is launch them. They have to work with you. A select arrow. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, 
Let every arrow in this room be found in the quiver of the Almighty God. Let it be sharpened. Let it be polished. Let it become a select arrow. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said? Amen. Come on, let's give him a...